This is another edition of Talk Your Exposure featuring an extremely special guest, someone that I've learned a lot about over the last couple months, owner of TPG Sports, Sports Academy, also, also Elvis Dennis Sports Academy, Sports Training Academy, my apologies. Elvis Dennis is in the building today. How you doing, man? I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Appreciate the intro. Um, little word players. So it's TPG, the Performance Group Basketball Association. Uh, I am a co-founder, uh, founded that club alongside my cousin Alfred Brown, who you've met. Uh, and then, yeah, the Elvis Dennis Training Academy, which has kind of been up and running for as long as I can remember. I've always been kind of giving back to the youth and whatnot and just kind of more formalize it in the most recent years. Um, but yeah, blessed man, considering the circumstances, I know we're in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, so staying nimble and staying active has been key, um, you know, not just for physical health, but obviously the mental health of myself and the players within my club and so forth. So it's just, you know, making the best of a bad situation. Well, definitely. How, what what did 2020 taught you? You know, you, you touched up in a little bit. So I just wanted to ask you straight up, what did 2020 taught you? Uh, man, 2020 taught me that it is important to have a strong network. Uh, I guess maybe I shouldn't say that it taught me that. It just reaffirmed that. Um, you know, I've always been an individual cultivating long-term relationships. Um, and, you know, just words from my past that your network is your net worth. Um, so in 2020, re recently had to really tap into my network. Um, in order to have things continue to run as, as close to normal as possible. Obviously, we all have accepted that there is a quote unquote new norm. Um, but most definitely, that's one of the things I don't like I said, it's not necessarily new teaching, but just uh, confirmation that uh, your network is key to and vital to your success for sure. No, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing about it, man. Like you said, you know, mental health has been a key component to this entire pandemic. And you've heard it even just from not just from people like you and I who are regular schmegglers, but the NBA players have talked about it as well. You know, we talked about the NFL players, too. So mental health in itself is so important and so keen that, you know, I kind of got to ask you as well, being a coach and being someone that's been around for so long. What's the importance of keeping our players, you know, or, or keeping your players in general, um, just keeping them? keeping them positive, keeping them, you know, trying not to forget that we're in the middle of a pandemic or now, how important it is to, to take them off that, that mental aspect of, of, of life and keep them, keep them going. Oh man, it's, it's extremely important. And I, and I actually think that that's one of the pieces that, you know, our, 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 our leaders or our government has missed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I get it. We're in a pandemic, people are dying, people are falling ill and so forth. What those numbers really look like, I don't know. I, I would be lying to know that, to say that I know exactly what those percentages are. I know that it's a small percentage of the population and even smaller, uh, even smaller population of the youth, uh, percentage of the youth population. Um, so to take away closed gyms and, and, and shut down programs where kids have an opportunity to be active, in an era where being active is not normal, um, I think that really is a detriment. I mean, uh, many people don't know this, but I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of work um, at the Sick Kids Hospital, um, oh, wow. you know, with with you know troubled teens and you know kids of that nature, and they've seen a spike in the amount of admissions that they have for kids who you know unfortunately have attempted um, to take their life during this pandemic. Um, so, I mean, it's unfortunate that, you know, the sports and recreation industry is taking a hit. I definitely know it's affecting kids. Like I said, we are, we are in an era where, you know, being active is not the norm. 
Uh, and back when I was growing up, probably when you were growing up, being outside and playing different sports and things of that nature, that was the norm. We're in a video game era, uh, computer era, technology era. So a lot of kids are spending a lot more time inside. And unfortunately, because they're spending so much time online, their peer group is essentially they connect with their peer group online. Um, and for those that, you know, do use sport as an outlet for that to be now shut down, it's it's obviously a very difficult thing. And it's the numbers are showing that. So I try to tell my kids or the kids that I come in contact with, whether they play for TPG or not, um, to hold yourself accountable. You know what I mean? Um, find a way to be active, whether it's just in your house, you're running up and down your steps um, or in the basement, whatever it is, just find a way to stay active. Right? Yeah, no, for sure, man. And that, that's the biggest thing right now is, is understanding that that component of depression, because like you touched on, you know, you, the, the reality is depression is hit an all time high right now. And especially with it now being being wintertime, this is a typical season where, you know, depression is, is at its all-time highest. And for it to be going through a pandemic, you know, I, I don't know if, if you know the stats or not, but I actually have suffered from depression myself. And I'm someone that that has been going through a lot of that stuff my, my, myself as well. So to be able to kind of, I look at the stats for that. I don't really look at the COVID numbers because to be honest, I don't care. But like, but like I look at the, the depression numbers and we, it's actually gone up about 30% you know, just in, in, in the hospital, I mean, it's uh, suicide, you know, those two things in, in, in general, like the fact that there's so much about that right now. And, and I feel bad for these kids, man, because I, I couldn't go through this when I was 15, 14, 13, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to, I would, I would, I would go through a lot. So, so to hear that, you know, from, from your side of saying like, yeah, you work there, you see it. It's almost like these, these nurses these days that are seeing like COVID patients coming in and out and talking about COVID in general. And you know what I mean? So, so I just kind of hope that this is all kind of done soon. And, 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 you know, I, I wish for the best for, for this to be done, man. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad you, you touched up on, on technology a little bit. Cause I wanted to ask you, we do live in an era today of, of, <laughs> of uh, technology and you kind of gave a really good breakdown the other day of, of what to look for when you're looking at mixtapes and stuff. Talk to us a little bit about your opinion about, <laughs> about mixtapes and, 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 and stuff like that of today's era and what your opinion is of, of, of mixtapes. Um, with everything, there's good and there's bad. So, you know, I'll touch on the fact that what's really great about a mixtape, it is an amazing way to catch the eye of, of your target audience, right? right. Whether it be your peer group, uh, um, or whether it be college coaches and college scouts, or even just, you know, scouts in general, right? A mixtape pops up. Anyone can make a mixtape. Right. Again, it's you see the power of technology in the music industry. Right. And it, it, it's actually helping in some cases in the sports industry. Right. Where a 14 year old kid can go to the gym. He's got a phone. He's got a buddy. His buddy may not be a hooper, but his buddy knows how to hold a phone and, and follow him around while he's doing made up drills and, you know, come to a game. And I know in high school I used to play I used to pay I used to pay a kid named Duncan, you know, five dollars to come and record. Uh, my high school games. Mm-hmm. This is back when it was like VHS and um, <laughs> <you know, laughs> VCRs and things of that nature, right? But just think about that, you know? Um, all my friends at the time were hoopers. So they're on the court or they're on the bench. They're not, they're not an ability to, to, to record a game. So I was paying a guy, Duncan, $5 to come and record some of these games um, so that I would have something tangible to be able to, to, to send out um, to schools at more post-secondary schools uh, because uh, so I think there's a great benefit to a mixtape you know 
literally in the span of 24 hours, you can go to the gym, you can put together a mixtape of, you know, guy, your, your kid just doing a drill or, you know, footage from games. Now on the flip side to that, it's false advertisement a lot of the times. Uh, I know people are like, what? Yeah, it's false advertisement a lot of times. A lot of times when I watch these mixtapes, um, you know, one, one thing I share with you that I look for is how many times does, does the defender's jersey color change, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, okay, it's a 60 second mix on Instagram. And in that 60 seconds, there might've been eight or nine clips and there's a, the, the defender is wearing a different color jersey every time. So it's like, is the kid really good? Or did he have a good move, one good move in each of those eight or nine games? Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that I personally look for when I'm looking at mixtape is, is he, is this all happening in one game? Is this happening over the course of two games? Or is this just like a, a, a collage of all this kid's greatest moves ever over the course of 12 months? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen this happen where I see the mixtape. I'm like, yeah, homie looks good. And then I'm at a tournament and I stick around to watch a game. I'm like, okay, he, he ain't it. Like that, mm-hmm. that's not what I was. Uh, that's not what I stayed to see. <laughs> he could be having a bad, he could be having a bad game. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think it, it is, it's useful and helpful um, because you're able to, like I said, in the span of 24 hours, get something um, out there in the world. Um, I think it's great for kids there's a fear factor, right? Sometimes, you know, you see a mixtape, like, man, that guy, that kid's really good. Um, you know, and people start liking and following and commenting. That could boost the kid's confidence. Uh, and now he walks into the gym and he has a psychological advantage over, you know, over his competitors because they've seen his And I've, I've witnessed this as a coach. Uh, and yeah. I've yelled at players for this because I, I see them standing around in warm-ups watching this mixtape guy warm up. It's like, you got to play against dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? You shouldn't be in awe of dude. Um, so it's, it's, like I said, in everything, there's good and bad. Uh, I'm from the old school era. We didn't have mixtapes like that. Um, it was like, yo, you got to perform. Like, you, you, dude's coming to tape a game. <laughs> you got to put in work. Because uh, how often can you buy a VHS? They used to come in packs of threes, right. right? But, you know, again, you were fortunate if you had parents who were in support of your your athletic aspirations <laughs> back then <laughs> to even buy you the VHS tapes. And then, like I said, paying a guy $5 right. and then buying stamps. And it's, it was just a whole different process. So I, I love the fact that technology is where it is right now. I use it as well. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like in closing with the whole mixtape thing, like I said, I have two sons uh, who hoop and I let them know flat out. Like if you want a mixtape, cool. Just go out and perform, have a really good game. And you'll have yourself a mixtape. But um, like I said, I'm not going to be chopping and editing 15, 16 games for, you know, 60 seconds of fun because it's not happening sure. on my end. But again, I love it, man. It's, it's a great way for your kids and coaches to get their players exposure. No doubt about it. And the reality is, and like you talked to touch on before with the VHS is nobody wants to watch 60 seconds of VHS. <laughs> No, that's not like, I don't even know if people have anything. So I, I actually, I was on Kijiji and I seen um, there was a guy offering a service to be able to transfer, um, you know, footage from VHSs, I guess, into a, a more modern way of viewing. So I might, I might hit him up and because uh, my kids, sometimes they forget that I played. So I, I might have to go and get some old footage converted. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So you talk about your, your, your high school a little bit, you know, um, you said you, you had a guy come out and record you. Um, from what I see when you play now, like I can only imagine what you, how you were back in, back in high school and, and, you know, grade nine to grade 12. Talk us a little bit about, you know, what the best part of your high school basketball career was and, and the enjoyment of it. And if you can go back to it, 
what would you change if you, if you're in today's era playing today playing with with today? Um, I mean, man, what I love, I loved, I loved everything about my high school experience. Um, there were a lot of challenges. Uh, just with my family moving and stuff like that and having to switch schools and get acclimated to new coaches and new, 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 new systems. Uh, not all coaches are the same. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was a flashy, I was more of a flashy type player. Uh, I guess you could say, you know, I like to get buckets and, you know, kind of do my thing. Uh, and that didn't always rock with the coaches that I was playing for. There are, there are coaches that were more system guys right uh, so they would say you know don't be the offense be a part of the offense um and in my era there was no i had no no mentor i had no trainer like it was just watch vhs the one that i watched the most michael jordan come fly with me and nba superstars part one i would watch those tapes i would go in the basement or I'd go on the driveway and i would try to replicate nba superstars part one was an amazing video because it had like larry bird Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Dominique yeah. Wilkins. Like, they had a lot of great players that all had different styles of play. Uh, so I was, you know, taking little pieces from each of those players and, and trying to cultivate my own style. Of, but in high school, I thought there was, so, you know, not just here in Brampton, but across the GTA. Um, and not being in the social media era, you would only see and hear, like, what you see in here. So you would read the newspaper, and, uh, and you see a guy like, you know, like Junior Brown or whatever, who's at Bathurst, you know, he might have had a game where he had 30 points and whatnot, you know, Jerome Robinson. Uh, so Malton's a part of Peel. Uh, and Westwood and Morningstar, they pretty much ran the basketball scene uh, back in my day in terms of like Peel championships and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, being able to, 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 to read about those guys in the Toronto Star uh, or check up, see them at a tournament and see what they're doing, that was the motivation. Uh, behind, you know, kind of working. And that was the excitement. That's what I enjoyed most about high school is, you know, the constant competition. Like there was a lot of really good basketball players back then. Uh, so knowing that, yeah, every weekend, you're going to get a chance to go up against the top dogs and <laughs> measure yourself. Um, so that was great. Um, what would I change about high school? Just, 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 just from what you know from then to now, like how would you be able to, sorry, let me, let me actually rephrase that question. How would you combine the two eras together? I mean, if I could go back and do things differently, um, then I would, I, would, I would train, right? Okay. Like I would do dedicated training. Um, like I said, I was playing a lot of ball. I was playing ball every day. Like I didn't get yeah. introduced to the sport until I moved back to Canada from Jamaica. Uh, and my cousin Alfred, who I told you I co-founded uh, TPG with, he was a big time hooper back in the day. Uh, and he's the one that kind of gave me my first basketball and I watched him do some stuff in the basement. Uh, but no one was ever like dedicated training. You just go to the park and get picked up and you kind of just figure it out, play a lot of American, figure it out. So I would do that differently, right? I would, I would take a more focused approach to building my skill. Like the kids have the opportunity to do now, right? They, they have a lot of guys who play before them at a high level who can teach them the nuances of the game and how to be really effective uh bobby allen was like really the first guy uh i remember this like it was yesterday i was at terry miller dropping uh and, and bobby allen was back from playing overseas and he was just in the gym just killing guys killing guys um and i was doing my thing too you know but you know he pulled me aside and was like look man you're a good player but you're doing too much yeah like you're burning yourself out right um you're scoring but you're doing so much to score and I'm watching you and you could do so much, you could do a lot less and still score. Uh, so he was the first guy that 
you know, I, I like spoke to me and made me think about changing the way I played. Uh, and then it, it was more about, you know, just getting it done, getting to my spots, you know, saving my energy for other facets of the game, like defense and so forth. So how I would, how I would, I guess, mesh the two is I would sprinkle a little training component um, into back in my day where it's like you come to the gym and you're getting up a certain amount of shots as opposed to coming to the gym, throwing your jeans off and getting into a game of American with eight, <laughs> nine guys. Right. Um, so I would, I would do that. And then again, I would bring some of that to this era. Like I've, I, I think I've shared this story with you, you know, where I say, okay, yo, we're going to play American. The kids have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. And, and they're foreign to the concept of just one ball and eight or nine guys playing yeah. one game on one rim. Uh, because those games are physical games, right? And it forces you to really do everything. You've got to rebound. Like, no one's there to pass you the ball. So you're playing American. You have to go and rebound. You just have to. And if you can't rebound, then you got to go play D, the guy who has the ball, and try to get a steal. If not, you're not going to get an offensive possession. Um, so I would incorporate some of that into this era, because this era right now for a specific because kids might come robotic. And I see it because I'll see a kid on Instagram. He'll do a move on Instagram, which works perfect on Instagram because it's cones and they're not moving. But then he'll come down in a game and try the exact same move just because he's, he's done it so many times. So he's not doing the move to, be, to successfully beat his man. He's just doing the move because his body has done the move so many times. So I feel like the kids aren't playing with a lot of feel these days. They're just they're more robotic and they're just doing certain things that they've been taught. So that's what I would how I think I would mesh the two eras is, is by doing that. For sure. For sure. <laughs> it's funny. You might, you talk about American too, cause it kind of reminds me of when you play American, you play like the, the bad boy Pistons, you know, you, you, you beat one defender. You gotta, you gotta, you see Bill and beer, you see a, uh, Bill, uh, a horn or, you know, whatever it is. So it's like, you always gotta get the, to figure out a way to, to pretty much beat seven, eight other guys. Like you just mentioned. Right. And that's the toughest thing about, about today. People don't understand you know, one-on-one isn't always so bad, but they don't understand what to do when they beat one guy, you know, and, and, and you're hundred percent right about that. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you touched up on that, to be honest with you. I'm glad you touched up yeah, on that. Yeah, decision, not, not. like, I, I just feel like American really increases a player's decision-making skills. I tell my kids, you know, I'm training, I'm like, I'm going to give you enough that, you know, seven to eight out of 10 times, you'll be able to beat your guy one-on-one, right? Right. The real, the real question and, and, and how you're recruiting in terms of like, just overall kids wanting to go D1, it's, it's going to be like, okay, you've beat your man seven out of 10 times. How many of those times did you make the right decision with mm-hmm. respects to shooting or passing, right? Mm-hmm. Floaters, pull-ups, like, or you, because guys will beat their man and then just go too deep, right? right. And then now you're amongst a three bill lamb bears that are looking to lay you out where, you know, you beat your man, you could have had a, a, a little runner or pull-up from just below the free throw line and avoid all that, right? right. Um, so, like I said, that's that's why I love the, the 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 game of American and what it did for you know my game and others around me. You know, that's kind of was the, I think the biggest factor in our development. While you were in high school, who was the toughest person that, that that you know every night when you well not every night, but whenever you saw whenever you saw him checking you, who was the toughest person you had that checked you? <laughs> uh, dude named Brian Benjamin. Dude Brian named Benjamin. Brian Benjamin from Heart Lake Secondary School. Okay. Um, tough, tough guard. But he, he had, he, like, before wingspan was a thing, right? Okay. Anyone who knows Brian Benjamin knows. Dude had, like, a crazy wingspan for a guard. Uh, so it was, it was, I didn't like playing against him 
because uh, every time I thought I had it beat, somehow he'd get those arms in the way. And, you know, I, I, think, I think my top turnover games were probably against Brian Benjamin. Right. Um, yeah, so I think he would probably be the guy that I say was, you know, kind of the, the most annoying to play against. Not difficult. I, I didn't really have a hard time in high school, really. I mean, I know it sounds <laughs> cocky or conceited, but it is what it is. It is I'll get is, out man. there and do my thing, man. <laughs> so, so after your grade 12 year or, or after, you know, last year of high school, what was or did you have any looks from the United States? And, and if not, or if so, who? And if not, what about Canada? Yeah, um, one look, one, 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 one scholarship opportunity, and that was to Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, you know, like I said, it, re it really wasn't until like my 11th grade that I even thought that that was possible. Uh, and the reason being, my sister got a track scholarship, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. we were living in Florida, and then my family moved back here. My sister stayed in Florida. She kept doing her thing uh, from a track and field standpoint and then got a scholarship. I uh, had a few offers and then accepted a scholarship. So that's when I was like, okay, I could probably do the same. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't work out. Um, and this is why I press the kids all the time uh, in terms of your schoolwork, right? Books before ball. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like back in that era, that was not it. Like I wasn't put in the books before the ball. Um, yeah. You know, I was I wasn't failing or anything like that, but I definitely wasn't taking school serious. Uh, so again, if I go back in time, hindsight being twenty twenty, I would take school <laughs> a lot more serious than I did back then. You know, what I mean, yeah. I was just doing the bare minimum, and and unfortunately, that came back to bite me in in the tail. Um, but nonetheless, you know, you you live and you learn, and and you could pass those learn those experiences on to others. Um, and then Canada-wise, so when that didn't pan out, I actually kind of just a lot of my close friends and high school teammates, uh, they decided to attend Sheridan College. Um, so, of course, they were like, yo, come to Sheridan, come to Sheridan. Uh, coach Flack, uh, who was the head coach there, so, uh, and then uh, he was a coach there, and he had reached out. Uh, I had known him because, again, through my last year, he was recruiting some of my players, some of the guys for my team. Uh, and I already knew some of the guys that were there that were like Peel legends, you know, like Shane Bosco was there. Brian Harris mm -hmm. was there. Um, the year when I decided to attend, Mike Joe uh, transferred from Niagara College. Uh, there was a dude, Michael Lane, who was at Hawaii, who was going to be there. Uh, like the team was just my year off while those guys were playing. Like I said, I had ex former teammates on the team, so I would go watch and play. Coach Flack did a great job keeping me engaged. You know, he, he would send me postcards. Like if they went on a road trip, whatever, they were in Montreal, he would send me a postcard from Montreal. Um, so I, I felt wanted um, by Sheridan. And like I said, with the connection that I had and then knowing the guys that were already there, uh, I'm all about competing uh, for championships. So I felt like if I went there, we'd have a good chance at that. Now, my experience there wasn't how I envisioned it. Um, but again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Playing time is important, um, but it's important to be on a team where you really like the guys that you're playing with, uh, because when things don't go your way, you're not salty, right? right? There are games where I maybe I played two or three minutes, and we won, and I was happy. Like I played thirty minutes, right? Because <laughs> I no, I'm being real, right? Because the guys who I was rocking with the guys who are on my team like these are my these are my friends i have right. real relationships with these guys so 
even though I'm not the guy out there, you know, dropping bombs, 20, whatever, I'm happy for my guys that are, right? Because, right. like I said, I feel like if they're out there killing and, and I'm in practice, I'm killing them, like, I know where I'm at. And, you know, people say, you know, don't be cocky. And I tell people all the time, it's it, when people are confident, it doesn't mean that they're cocky, right? Like, right. You, there, there are certain things or guiders or that I look for, right? So I'm like, okay, if, if, if Kevin Durant's supposed to be the man, like best in the world, LeBron, best in the world, and I could play against that person, I can hold my own, you know what I'm saying? Or I look at our stat line, our stat lines aren't very different, then I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in that category. And that's how I looked at it. Even though I wasn't playing, you know, I wasn't worried about what people were saying because I had already had a body of work. So I, like I said, my, my first year at Sheridan, I didn't expect to not play big minutes, but I didn't. Um, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about preparation, game preparation, and, and what it took to, to be a collegiate, uh, collegiate a high-level collegiate athlete, right? There's a lot of preparation that goes into that um, with respect to your pregame routines uh, and just how you approach the scouting report and knowing who you're going to be playing against and their tendencies. So in that year, although I wasn't playing a lot of minutes, I was learning a lot about the game of basketball of course. Um, through Coach Flack, um, through Leroy Casanova, and then, of course, you know, the legendary Nikki Davis, who, you know, to me is one of the greatest coaches. That's a name Canada. right there. Yeah, That's man. That's a name he, right he there. Don't, he, don't, he, don't, he don't get nearly enough credit um, for his, his, his involvement in, in basketball in Canada. But I'm telling you right now, Nikki Davis is one of the realest uh, and best coaches out there. So shout out to Nikki Davis, man. He, he, he did a lot uh, for me as a, as a player. And, you know, we have a great relationship to this day. And like I said, network, right? That, that's what this sport also is, is important for kids to understand that through this sport, you can cultivate relationships that will, you know, benefit you down the road when the ball is no longer bouncing for you. We're actually going to get going to get back to Nikki Davis in a second because I do have a question for you about Nikki Davis. But I want to ask you, you know, uh, Sheridan in general, you were there for two years, three years? Four years. Four, four years. years. My fault. Four years at Sheridan. Yeah. So in your four years there, you know, you, you, you talked about your first, you've talked about your first year. You know, you weren't really playing that much. Let's talk about your second, third and fourth year and how you were able to come, come, you know, come off that adversity and be able to say, you know what? I'm here to fucking play. I'm here to hoop. And I don't really care about nothing else. I just want to do, I just want to hoop at the end of the day. How did you, how did you take that, you know, your, your anger? I don't even know if you're anger, angry, but take, for lack of a word, let's take that anger and build it to motivation. Yeah, 100%. So it wasn't really angry, just more frustrated. Uh, because like I said, I felt like I could play. Uh, uh, and at that time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young and, you know, I'm, I'm coming off a great high school season and things of that nature where, you know, I felt like I was rocking, but one of the best things that I did is, you know, I respectfully went to my coaching staff and asked, like, what do I got to do to get more minutes? Right. It wasn't I, I wasn't asking, like, yo, why are you not playing me? Because yeah. it's easy to see why. Like, there's 12 guys on the team. You know, you have a two at the time, a two time all Canadian. Yeah, I think Shane might have been a two time all Canadian at that point. You know, you have Brian Harris, who was in his senior year and had been leading Sheridan to championships. You had Mike George who was in his sophomore season, but in his freshman season was like first team, all this first team, all that Niagara MVP, like we had hoopers. So it's under why it would be hard for them to give me minutes. Right. I'm playing behind a lot of top guys. Um, but the best thing I felt like I did is, you know, when, and I had that conversation with them and I, and I use that philosophy to this day, right. You know, coach Flack wrote a triangle, 
And at the peak of each triangle, he had a letter. He had an O, he had a D, and he had an R. The O for offense, the D for defense, and the R for rebounding. And he asked, like, which one of these right now are you elite at? Would you say you're the best at on the team? Well, at the time, I wasn't the best scorer on the team. I wasn't the best rebounder on the team. So really, the only spot that I could have been the best at was defense. And that's kind of was my focus. I'm like, okay, if you're saying these are the three things that equate to minutes and I can't be the best rebounder on the team and I can't be the best scorer on the team right now, I for sure as hell could be the best defender or one of the best defenders on the team. So that's why I started to focus my energy, right? Uh, and I felt like when I started doing that, I would see some things. So again, the game generated a couple of turnovers, which leads to some easy, quick offense. And any good coach, if you're generating turnovers and shutting the best player on the other team down he's probably going to find minutes for you so transitioning into my into and i've always been a defender right it's just you know i've never been more focused on it i never had to focus on because i was always getting minutes um so going into my second year i took that as a massive focus like i'm going to be the best defender on the team uh but of course you know guys graduated guys transferred to university so that in itself gave me an opportunity to get more minutes uh, so, you know, I went from, you know, one of the last guys off to bench into a starting role. Um, now I'm getting the opportunity. I'm producing. Things are on the up and up. Um, and then it just kind of continued to build from there, right? Third year, uh, we, again, we, my third year, I think we had seven freshmen come in, right? Um, so that was a challenge in itself. Now this put me in a position to really show what I've learned the past two years under guys like Brian Harris, um, you know, who was a great leader for our team. Right. So I picked up a lot of things, like I said, in my first year sitting, watching how he was a floor general and what he do, how he would sacrifice his personal opportunities for the betterment of the team. Uh, so I took that mentality into my third year. Um, and, you know, we ended up in a national championship uh, game that year and we had seven freshmen on, on that team. Um, and yeah, I mean, I won a bunch of awards, individual awards and so forth. Uh, so that was probably my, my best individual season. At Sheridan, and my role changed again in my in my senior year. Um, but again, ultimately, it was about getting the championships, winning championships. So in my four years, we won three Ontario championships. Uh, I think two bronze and a silver medal at the national level. Um, so every year we're in the hunt, right? Yeah. Uh, and long story short, by the end of it all, you know, I was playing big minutes. I was a big part of the program. Um, I think my, my senior year team has the record for most wins, least losses in a season. Um, and then I, I was inducted into the Sheridan College Hall of Fame, hey. uh, which is pretty cool. You know, my kids walk in, or even the kids that I train, and they'll look around and they see my name on a banner, like, hey, is that you? Um, <laughs> and so it's a great story because I didn't cut and run. And then I, I give yeah. my mom all the credit for that um, because there were other colleges that were reaching out heavy. Uh, for me to leave Sheridan. And, and my mom was like, yo, I'm going to support you in whatever decision you make, but just understand that if you leave Sheridan, everyone's not going to know the reasons why you left. So a lot of people are just going to be like, yo, you weren't good enough to play at Sheridan. And I wasn't having that. I didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want yeah. that as my rep. So, you know, my mom, um, you know, has a lot to do with me sticking it out. And I know in this day and age, you know, kids go through a little adversity and the parents pull them and they jump ship and they run to different programs. And uh, people think, I, I know a lot of parents might think that I'm a bad guy or I'm a mean guy. No, I, I went through it. Like when I look at a kid, and this is why I'm saying I would never change my experience for anything. Because now when I look at a kid, 
And I'm telling him like, yo, you can do better. You are better than you are showing, but it's going to take time. And you know what? You got to grind it out. Don't just cut and run. If I'm not playing you, it's not because you're not a good basketball player or won't be a good basketball player. It's right now you're not being productive as a basketball player. And it could be, a, it could be as simple as confidence, right? All these kids click at different times in terms of their confidence. But unfortunately, parents, they ain't trying to hear that. Parents think because they pay a fee that their kids automatically are entitled to play. Um, and I'm not with that. So, you know, I'd rather coach a losing team with people and players who buy into that philosophy of like, you, you get what you earn as opposed to, Hey, you know what? I'm a part of the team. I deserve to play just because. Yeah. So, but that's my story, man. Rags to riches, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to get into your, 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 you know, coaching as well. But one thing I want to ask you is what is the, the biggest thing that you, I mean, first of all, congratulations to you for being inducted into the Sheridan Hall of Fame. Um, second of all, this is a two-parter, two-part question. Do you go back to Sheridan? Do you, do you ever go back to Sheridan to, to watch him play to this day? And also, what has Jim Flack taught you as a, not as a basketball player, but as a coach too? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I don't go, I'm not as active in the Sheridan community as I once was, um, but I definitely go back. Uh, I, I go back, I, I literally would go and chill with Coach Flack. Uh, for an afternoon, just kind of pick his brain about basketball stuff. Uh, I guess if I could say the number one thing that I took away or that Coach Fag taught me about basketball is preparation is key. The preparation is so key to your success as a player, as a coach. Because, again, if, if, if I'm going to play against someone and he has certain tendencies that I don't know about, we get in the game, he can kill me with those tendencies. But simply by them scouting and them pointing out the tendencies – I can prepare for those and I can adjust to limit the individual from doing those things. I can disrupt those tendencies. Um, and that in itself makes me a better basketball player or will make it seem like I'm, I'm a better basketball player. So you ain't got to be the quickest person to be good, de be a good defender. If you know what the guy's favorite move is and you can figure out a way to disrupt that, and he'll miss shots. And if, and if he that day happens to go four for 15, you've done a great job. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it's rhythm. You see guys, they have rhythm dribbles. If you could disrupt their rhythm, it throws their shot off. You know what I mean? So it's not because I'm all of a sudden six, five with a, with a seven foot wingspan. and I'm contesting shot. It's just, no, just little things. Um, and you, like I said, we've been in the gym over the past couple of months you know, and you see, I take pride in defense and, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll really watch guys when they're playing one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -on -two or whatever, just to kind of see to, if I can pick up on their tendencies that will help me. Right. So that's the, I think the most important thing that I've taken away from coach Flack from a basketball standpoint is, is, is preparation is key. So you, you transition from, from playing Sheridan. Now you become a coach. You start off your coaching career with, that was CIA bounce or CIA or bounce. One of those three. Um, Mike George brought you into the fold. Talk to us a little bit about your, your personal experience as a coach, the diversity and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Mike George is a college teammate of mine. Um, became probably my closest college teammate in, in the year that we were there together. Um, and again, in high school, we were like enemies for whatever reason. Like, I never even really talked to the dude. But again, our era was so competitive. That, you know, there were guys in Brampton that were like, oh, you know, Mike George better than you and whoop-de-whoop. -whoop. So there was that there was that tension, I guess. But once we got to Sheridan, we realized that we had a lot of things in common. 
in terms of what we believed in as, as, as humans, uh, more so than anything else. Uh, um, so yeah, when we wrapped up, he, he, he started, um, CIA, um, out of, um, West Humber church or Humberley church in, in, um, in Rexdale had some guys and whatnot. So he asked me to come in and kind of help out with, with some of those kids and so forth. And I did. Um, and then through that, through competition, uh, he and Tony McIntyre and, and Derek Boyce as well as a co-founder as well. Um, they teamed up to create CIA bounce. Um, and then, yeah, you know, we had a lot of guys in the fold that were helping out over there. Um, and obviously, you know, bounce, you know, we did what we did at the time. Uh, we had a lot of good players, a lot of good success stories and stuff like that. Um, and guys have kind of transitioned on from there, gone on to do different things. Obviously, Mike George is an NBA agent right now, one of the top agents in the game, um, you know, putting on for the city, no doubt. Um, represent, obviously, you know, guys like Jamal Murray and Dylan Brooks and, 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 and guys from, you know, the GTA area and stuff like that. Uh, right. So still one of my closest friends to this day. Uh, still very competitive between he and I. Uh, but my, my time and my experience at Balance Man was, was great. Like so many great experiences, so many great stories, uh, being on the road with the kids and stuff like that. And, you know, at that time, I was still pretty active and could play. So it was nice busting those kids up. Um, you know, Xavier Rath and Mays is one of those guys. He was always trying to come at me. So we had a lot of fun uh, while we were on the road. Um, you know, Nas Long, again, was one of those dudes, too. You know, real competitive at a young age and stuff like that. So, it was, like I said, man, a lot of great memories um, being with that program, for sure. I know that, uh, that, that Tristan Thompson uh, played over there as well. I know that uh, Anthony Bennett played over there, too. Nick, uh, Andrew Wiggins. Did you ever get a chance to coach those guys or just the, the guys you mentioned? Yeah, um, really the first, my first AAU experience, um, I was on the coaching staff with Mike George, Nikki Davis, Derek Boyce, and that team, there's 13 guys on that team. Uh, so we had um, Anthony Bennett, Sim Bullar, Negus Webster-Chan, wow. Andrew Wiggins, um, Nas Long, Jared wow. Skeet. Uh, Martin Dixon Green, Deshaun Pierre, Richie Peterson, uh, Mick Lewis. Wow. Um, who am I missing? Man, that team was so deep, so stacked. Like, <laughs> being on the road with those guys was fun because they all had yeah. great personalities. You had guys who were from Scarborough. You had guys who were from, you know, Brampton, Mississauga and stuff like that. And, you know, it was that was a dope, dope experience. And obviously to watch... You know, several of those guys. Uh, Stefan Jankovic, I forgot about him. Um, but a lot of those guys have had stints with, um, with NBA teams, whether it be summer league or, or preseason or the actual, you know, big show. Some of those guys have actually stuck. Um, obviously, Anthony made history being the first ever number one pick from, from, from Canada. That was pretty dope. And then followed by Andrew. Um, so yeah, man, it was it was it was dope times. Like that was my first <laughs> first AAU experience, right? What an experience! Like, you know. But again, I, I, it's funny that you're talking about that. I bring up that team. So now here we are, fast forward, and I watched how that team, how everyone on that team, was able to get to where they wanted to get to by being a team, right? I just mentioned a lot of talented guys, so you could imagine, you know, not everyone was playing twenty something minutes a game. 
Um, but uh, I love a, I love a, a guy like Nas Long, a story like him, you know, where, you know, he's probably the eighth or ninth guy off the bench originally, but then, you know, kind of worked his way up and some games would start. But uh, in an EYBL game, I think we were playing, um, I think we were playing Team Takeover or McIrvin Fire, really top program. And Nas took five charges. Nas took five charges in in, in one of those games. So you can imagine we're at Peach Jam and the sideline is lined with Division I coaches. And here's Nas, like, taking five charges in the game and just facilitating (laughs) the offense. And, you know, like, I want to say on his Fred Van Vliet shit almost. You know what I mean? Uh, And then he goes to Iowa State, plays four years at Iowa State, um, and and is now kind of, you know, in the NBA G League. He's back and forth getting call-up and stuff. And why I bring that up is, again, for the kids of today to understand that you don't have to be the, the first, second, or third option on your team to achieve your goals, right? Um, you're, on a, you're on a good team, and you're going to be playing at a high level. You're going to be playing in front of what I call basketball people. So yeah, you sure. can play for five minutes, and they know, oh, yo, that, that kid can play. And they understand the structure of a team. Right, you're gonna have your first, second, and third option. Then you're gonna have role players, and you see it more and more today in the NBA, where a guy like Luke Kennard, who most kids yeah. have probably never even heard of, but he signs a four-year, sixty-four million-dollar deal. The kid Alex Caruso from the Lakers, yeah. um, you know Jared Dudley. There's so many guys. So I say all that to say this: kids, you're on a team, fill a role, be productive in that role and continue to work towards your long-term goal. But if you sure. really want exposure, you're not going to get exposure being on a bad team. <laughs> so you've got to <laughs> learn to play with other good players, right? Yeah. I'm not saying to, to go and find the most stacked team and, you know, do that. But I'm telling you right now, just being, from my experience, being on the road, the top college coaches and recruiters come to the big games. You know, yeah. they're not going to be at the 8 o'clock bronze medal game. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to be at the 4 p.m. semifinal or final game. Yeah. And you're probably not going to get to that game unless you're on a team with other really good players. Yep. Right? So learn to play with other good players. Right? Exactly. Don't just be the guy who can only play with the ball in his hands. Right? Understand how to play the game with other good players. That was very well said from, from, from the legend himself. From the legend himself, man. That was very well <laughs> said. Kind. Very well said. I want to ask you, though, I do want to ask you, though, what were the practices like for the, for that team? As you, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of good guys around that team. You know, <laughs> Andrew, Anthony in particular being NBA guys, Naz is an NBA guy, uh, or up and down NBA guy. Uh, X is an up and down NBA guy. Um, you know, you had Stefan Yankovic even in there that was up and down NBA guy. Uh, Negus, Negus up and down NBA guy. Sim. Mm-hmm. NBA guy, so that, so that already right there, I've just named seven guys who were, who went to the NBA or played in the G League or summer league or whatever it was. Um, yeah. What were practices like? How intense were they? How how much shit talking was there throughout throughout the the practices and 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 just how fun was it as a coach to be able to be part of those practices? Man, like I'm smiling already and I'm getting goosebumps because you're bringing me back to those days, right? Perfect. It was it was it was it was unbelievable. Um, because again, it wasn't just, we didn't just have practices with those guys, right? There were days where we would have the gym booked out and guys from other younger teams. So, you know, you just mentioned a bunch of guys, but you didn't have guys like Tyler Innes in the fold, mm. Kevin Zabo, who at the time was a phenomenal mm. talent uh, as well, who was in the fold. So there were a lot of other guys, Dylan Brooks, we didn't even mention, was in the fold at the time, right? Uh, Troy Knight-Reed, 
uh, who was mm. like, again, one of my favorite players at, at bounce because of his dog-like and defensive first mentality. So there was a lot of talent within the club. Um, so yeah, it was intense without doubt. And obviously all those guys have their own sub clicks outside of the gym who are all gassing them. Like, yo, you're the man. Like, you're the man. Uh, so they bring all that to the gym and, you know, they have a coaching staff who shares the same mentality. Like you ask Mike George, he's going to tell you, Oh, I'm the man. I'm better than Elvis. You ask me, I'm, I'm going to say the same. And then we were in, we were in a playing shape at that time. So we would also compete uh, and they would see how we would compete against each other. Um, so it was a very competitive environment, but uh, a very like, loving and like committed environment you know what i'm saying everyone legit had each other's each other's backs and would ride for each other uh and i think that's what kind of made that era so special um everyone was willing to sacrifice for one another uh during that time so the practices were amazing practices were amazing i mean you know like i think at 1.5 of them were at the the pangles on american camp in la like we went for eybl we were on the eybl circuit then five of them stayed back. And for the whole week, we were just there training and stuff like that. And, like, everything was a competition, like a real competition. There's free throw drills, shooting drills, like, just everything. So, loved it, man. It was an amazing time, for sure. So, my last my last coaching question for you, and we're going to move on to a different topic, but what is it like coaching your sons? Challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Challenging. Um and, and why I say that, and I mean, I do feel bad for them at times because they're held to a, a, a higher standard than all the other players. Uh, people might say, oh, that's not fair, but it is what it is, right? I'm not only the coach, but I'm the co-founder of the club that they play for. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from it, again, I, I keep saying I come from, from an era where everything is earned, right? Nothing is given to you. Um, so here I am, I'm coaching my kids and stuff like that. Um, I see the game from the regular, I see the game differently than the regular spectator. Uh, so I'm getting on my kids for things that I see that others don't see and they would never understand. But because I'm, I'm, I play at a high level, I'm coming from coaching guys that are in the NBA. So they were playing at a high level. There are certain things that I see that I, and mistakes that I don't want my kids making that other kids get away with because they're not my kids. I don't, I don't yeah. want to yell at them and, and, you know, kind of go crazy on them. So it's, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging um, because I know sometimes it affects how they play. And I have two sons and they react differently, right? Yeah. My younger son, oh, I can get into him and stuff like that. And he plays better. Like sometimes it's almost like he needs me to do that to get him going. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the older one, he kind of shuts down uh, because it's like he feels as though, it maybe he feels as though he's not pleasing me. Right. And he doesn't he hasn't understood that we're just in battle right now. I'm still proud of you as a person and you as a player. But in the here and now, we are trying to get this win. I need you to perform a certain way. Um, so that that's it's been challenging. You know, what I mean, no doubt about it. That's I would say that's what it is. Culture, my my boys, it's a challenge. So I've kind of learned to, you know what, step back. So I stopped coaching my older son and kind of let others kind of coach him. I still get in the gym and train with him. But again, I've, I've opened him up to other trainers and stuff like that. Because uh, I do believe that it takes a village to raise a child and different voices are instrumental in the development process of, of, of all kids. Um, you know, and people have asked me, like I have family and friends, you know, I, I train and they're like, well, why would you bring another trainer in? Like, because they think that might affect, you know, 
my bottom line, if you want to call it that. Um, but I'm really about the kid first. Like I never got into basketball because of money. It's just a passion of mine. And I've been, I was doing it for years for free and I would continue to do it for free if I had to. Right. Um, but challenging to, to answer your question, coaching my, my, my own kids is challenging. I think any father who coaches would say the same. For sure. For sure. So now we, we, we well, no, let's, let's touch, up, touch up a little bit on TPG. What made you start TPG? Uh, the politically correct way to say it is to, pro okay, honestly, yeah, to provide a quality platform for the individuals who really want it and don't have it right now. What I mean by don't have it right now, kids develop at different times, right. different paces, right? And I just felt like the way things were going with, you know, other clubs and stuff like that um was okay you're no you're not good right now we can't play you right now you know what i mean uh and that is difficult for a kid's confidence in my opinion right like it's it's difficult to sit on the bench because like i said i shared my experience with you right but i was you know 18 19 at the time right i, I had already had a body of work that i felt was good enough for people to not look at me like yo that guy's a scrub but you talk about a nine 10, 11, 12 year old kid and they have peer groups and, you know, trashing each other is a common thing. Right. right? And we talked about the whole mental health piece earlier in the conversation. Um, so that's really why I decided to start TBG, man. It was just to provide a platform um, to give kids an opportunity where they felt safe and could grow. Um, now there might be parents out there be like, well, that ain't what happened when my kid was there. So again, there's, it's, everything is with context, right? You get to a point in time where you're, you're playing for a specific reasons. So there's times where you're playing for developmental purposes. And then there are times where you're playing for achievements and accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think that the, 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 the regular basketball family understands the difference between the two. Um, and that's why as TPG, as a club, from the onset, we, decide that we would play in two competitive channels. We would play CYBL and we would play OBA because we knew that OBA would give a platform where there's equal playing time across the board. And we try to balance our schedule so that we have the same amount of CYBL games as we do OBA games. Uh, because then a parent who's complained about playing time, I can miss our schedule and say, hey, look, we played 20 OBA games where he would have played at least 12 minutes a game, Right. Um, and if anybody knows, if you're on a team with 10, 11, 12 guys and you're playing 12 minutes a game, that's a lot of minutes, <laughs> right? That's a lot of minutes. Lot of I, I know, I know people may not think it is, but when you have a team of 10, 11, 12 guys and you're playing 12 minutes a game, like what's, what's the mellow ball, the sec number two pick, what's he, what's he playing right now? He's probably playing 15 minutes a game. 15 minutes a game. Do you see my point? Yeah. Right. So that's important, but that's why I started to be GT. And again, I had a some bad experiences where I placed my kids somewhere and what we were told we were going to get, we didn't get. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was a problem for me uh, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm paying out, shelling out this money, but I'm not actually getting the value that, that I was told that I would get. Um, okay. Yeah. And then again, just being involved, volunteering, I've obviously I volunteered a lot of my, my time and, but ne was never in a, in a decision-making role. 
Um, you know, so it's like, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing for me because I'm a basketball junkie. I feel like I've been around a lot of high level guys, um, both college and NBA. Um, so I do think I have a lot of like of good insight that I could share. I'm not saying I have to have the final say, but it would be nice to be at the table when certain decisions that are being made that affect obviously my immediate family and then just the basketball community in general. So not being in that position, I was like, all right, now it's time for me to do things my way, so to speak. So that's how the Performance Group Basketball Association came about. For sure. No, I love that, man. I, I, I commend that. And I, honestly, I wish you guys nothing but nothing but success when, when we're able to, you know, play again and, and, and get back to normal. So I, I love that story. And that's a, that's, that's a phenomenal story. I can't wait to post that one, to be honest with you. Um, that's not, but that's not the first, one of the first things that you were a part of uh, was starting with um, in terms of just generally you also you also helped start the We the North campaign that's kind of going on right now with the Raptors even in particular. Talk just a little bit about how that started. Talk just a little bit about what what got you to be a part of that, and also what was your best memorable part of you know the We the North campaign. Okay, so let's be clear, right? So I didn't start We the North. I didn't come up with the tagline We the North or anything okay. like that. So let's just be be clear on that. Uh, there, there are certain individuals, um, um, Dustin, um, Jeremiah, um, oh gosh, there's so many guys, um, and, and, and females involved in that project that were instru really instrumental in that project. Uh, how I got involved. So like I said, one thing I learned throughout my basketball journey was to cultivate relationships. Um, my parents have always taught like told me like speak your mind like if, if something doesn't feel right seem right don't be afraid to say something um so through those teachings you know um i heard that they were having this 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 shoot a call a casting call right um for this particular project uh that would later be known as we the north um so i got the info i show up there's a bunch of hoopers there and whatnot so i walk in and naturally hoopers do what they do they they greet each other yeah. Um, so I I didn't show up right on time. I was a little bit late, <laughs> late I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> and when I walked in, guys were showing me love. So I'm like, yeah, what's up, what's up, what's up? Um, so long story short, a dude comes up to me. And I guess he was like um, the producer or involved with the production team. Uh, so he comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, what's up, man? You seem pretty popular. Like, what's your name? He's got a clipboard. All right. So, you know, jokingly, I say I'm the legend known as Elvis. So, you know, he, he <laughs> chuckles, right? Um, I don't know if he was struggling about the legend part or the Elvis part, because let's be real, guys. I'm a black guy named Elvis, right? Go figure. <laughs> okay. Um, so needless to say, he kind of chuckles or whatever. And he's like, all right, man, cool. But really, like, who are you? So I'm like, no, nah, really, like, um, I'm the legend known as Elvis. My name's Elvis Dennis, right? So, of course, you know, he kind of writes it down. He thinks I'm joshing him. Uh, Justin Darlington was actually there, like, standing next okay. to me at the time. Um, just fly, you know, one of the best dunkers in the world, obviously. So he's, he's standing there, and he's cracking up. And he's, he's you tell dude thinks I'm lying about my name. He's like, no, nah. I'm like, dude, his name is really Elvis or whatever, right? Um um so he's like okay so how do you know all these guys long story short i tell him like yo i hoop whatever so we're there and 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 they they start the casting call and it's a hot mess bro like there are girls there in leotards like dancers and this is the thing right i'm not from that space i'm not from the the entertainment space and stuff like that um i'm, I'm more of a hustler i'll get my hands you know i'll dip my hands into anything um so i'm there and i'm looking there's like i don't know how this is going to work because you have real hoopers in the building and then you have 
like these these girls who are in leotards who are dancers or actors and but they're just they want a gig this is what they do full time um so we're supposed to play three on three and obviously it's a big bag of talent so it looks like hot mess so when things don't feel right you speak so i asked the guy i'm like look man like what are y'all trying to do i mean like what 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 is this ultimately going to be uh and he starts sharing the concept of of what is supposed to be we the north right and he's telling me and i kind of got this look on my face like like what he's what he's telling me sounds great but what i see in the in the in the casting i'm like there's no way they're going to be able you know to to make that happen mm-hmm. um and i guess he could kind of sense from my body language my facial expressions that something wasn't adding up so he asked me like okay be be real with me what do you think so i said i think the idea the concept is a great idea great concept but i think you're going to have like a ridiculous time trying to pull it off because of like who you have here yeah. and then that's when he was like okay so what do you think I'm like, I'm thinking like for this to work, you really need real hoopers. Like you can't just rely on actors for this to come together, not an authentic way. So again, just speaking my mind, boom. So he says, okay, yo, do you mind sticking around for the afternoon? And I was like, mm, you know, I had some plans, whatever. Um, why would I need to stick around? He's like, oh, well, I want you to meet the rest of the production team. Uh, I think your insight is, is extremely helpful. Um, I think we might be able to, to bring you on to this project. And I was like, oh, word. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll stick around. Stuck around. They came. They, they showed me the, the, the full-out storyboard of what they're trying to do. Again, met with some of the people. I shared what I shared with the, the other individual, Jeremiah. Uh, and they were like, okay, look, we really want this to work. We only have a two-week window to make this work because the Toronto Maple Leafs were in the playoffs and they had lost to the Boston Bruins. They choked. I guess they were up 3-1. I don't follow hockey, but this is kind of how the whole thing came together. The Raptors were going through a rebranding phase that was supposed to happen the following year. But then when the Jays were out the playoffs and then the, the Leafs choked, MLSC decided to speed up this rebranding of the Toronto Raptors because the Raptors were actually in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so long story short, they called me back for a second meeting, um, and uh, I, I gave them my resume as a, as a hooper and kind of just you know my connects within the city, uh, and then yeah, I be, I became a consultant. Uh, I became one of the lead consultants on that project, uh, and then we kind of changed things around in terms of how to mesh the two because there's two worlds. There are the hoopers of the yeah. world, and then you have your fans, the guys that work, you know, the executives for RBC and Rogers, and those are the guys that buy the tickets, go to the game. Like, those are the people you see. So they're fans of the NBA. They're not necessarily fans of basketball. They're fans of the NBA and, right. and the entertainment aspect of it. How do we bring those two together? Uh, so having done business and been in the business sector and had a mentor and stuff like that, uh, I had some pretty cool ideas, and, and they thought so too. And they brought me on board as a, as a lead consultant. And, um, yeah, I started reaching out to, to, to guys that I knew that could really hoop. And the project came together, and set the city on fire, man. And here we are six, seven years later and we still be the North. <laughs> <laughs> so another two part to that. Who was, first of all, is it kind of cool that you're, that you're a part of that and to see the Raptor and people wearing shirts and, 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 you know, you go downtown Toronto and you see spray paint, we the North in red. And, you know, even before every Raptors game, it says we the North and, you know, and in, 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 uh, um, the Raptors, uh, I forgot what, what it's called open gym, you know, they have we the North as their slogan and everything. Was that cool to know? Like, like you were, you didn't, you're right. You didn't start it, but you were a big, you were a big innovator in that. 
And also, was there, who was the coolest person you kind of worked with in that as well? Did, was there any any NBA guys you worked with in that too, or just production? Yeah, no. I mean, even if there, there were NBA guys in the commercial, but they were kind of just cut. They weren't like on set or anything like that. Um, but again, too, right? Like I had already, I had already had a connection and affiliation to NBA guys uh, okay. prior to that. Like you know, a good a good buddy of mine, Marcus Banks, you know, was drafted in two thousand and three as a lottery pick. Right, probably that that's considered might be the the best draft next to like Jordan's draft or you know Kobe's draft, right? Ninety six draft. Uh, so I was already you know familiar with you know NBA guys and stuff like that. To be honest, the coolest people that I met on on that or throughout that project were the actual guys, uh, the producers like Stuart McIntyre and Jeremiah and Dustin and um, you know those because this was a whole new world and. What I really loved and admired about them is that here's a guy who has no experience in their space, but they're, they were literally taken and asking me my input and then legit on the fly altering and doing what I'm saying I think makes the most sense, right? Um, that was amazing for me um, because they didn't have to do that. And the truth be told, not a knock to my culture, but that's not normal in my culture. And when I say my culture, the black community, right? It's it's very much, I got to be the man. I got to be the man in, in our culture. Uh, so for those guys who had the budget and all the experience to turn to me for my insights and then utilize those insights, those were the coolest people that um, I met during that experience. And, you know, I'm still in touch with some of them to this day. Uh, which I told you about network, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, they have pretty, very, very cool experience. Like you said, here we are, six, seven years later. Everywhere I go, it's we the north. Right? That campaign won awards and stuff like that. Um, so to be a part of something like that—that's for you know what I mean. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, I don't see the Raptors abandoning we the north anytime soon. No, right? So. Um, it was cool to be a significant part of our history, you know, here, here in the city for sure. And that was also kind of a big change of Canada basketball in general, right? Like just Canadian basketball, how many NBA players got into the NBA now? You know, like you said yourself, Anthony Bennett started it all off with the number one overall draft pick. How do you, how do you feel of Canadian basketball today? You know, just kind of the evolution of basketball. I know the Raptors have, have definitely helped it with winning the championship last year or a couple years ago. Um, but how, how has the progress of Canadian basketball changed from when you were, you started coaching Andrew and those guys to now? Oof. Um, the spotlight's a lot bigger. The spotlight's a lot bigger. Um, the opportunities are more abundant. Um, and that's big part of And that's like, you know, the, but I think the, how do I put this? The Vince Carter effect is real, without doubt. You talk to Tristan, Corey, those guys, they grew up, Vince Carter, whatever, whatever. But here's the truth. Vince Carter wasn't in the gym with those guys, mm -hmm. right? I think Canada basketball is where it is today because a lot of the kids that we're seeing hoop right now and do well are what I consider second-generation hoopers, right? Um, you know, like, I, I, my parents are immigrants to the country. So they didn't play sports here. And so I learned the sport when I got here. But now they're individuals. And I'm not at all saying I'm taking full credit. 
there's plenty of guys. Um, you know, Mike George, um, you know, um, Nikki Davis, who I mentioned earlier, myself, even you guys, Cy, David Tyndale, uh, Cedric Carter, Vlad. There's so many guys right now who all hooped at a high level. I mean, like, you know, post-secondary, some guys semi-pro and stuff like that, who are now directly involved with the development of these kids from a young age, right? Um, so if you talk to any of the, the guys that are in the NBA right now, they would have been coached or trained by someone who played post-secondary or semi-pro basketball at some point in time in their grassroots youth development phases. Right. So that's why I think Canada basketball is where it's at today is because prior in the U S so I had cousins and friends in the U S whose uncles had played division one basketball, whose uncles had played overseas. And so these are the guys that they were learning from, you know what I mean? Or you look at it like New York city, there are guys who were from New York city who had made it to the league, who were still coming back to their neighborhood playing outside so they were able to inspire and kind of give nuggets back to those kids right so in my time like i said bobby allen's the only guy that i can legitimately tell you took time to tell me something basketball related to make me a better basketball player right whereas like i said now the kids that we're talking about they have lots of guys around them or access to guys who have played at a high level or have been around guys that played at a high level you know, who now can, you know, kind of pass that knowledge uh, and teachings down to them, which is why I think we are where we are as a community. The Vince Carter effect is a very real thing, no doubt, but I think the bigger aspect of that is, again, like guys like Rowan Barrett and Steve Nash, like yeah. that's RJ's dad and RJ's godfather. Yeah. Like, come on, man. You know, dudes around those guys at 10, 11, 12, you know, they're telling him things that you – most kids won't ever hear until they're like 17, 18, 19 years old. Exactly. All right. So that's why I think Canada basketball is where it's at today. Um, and it's a great, and I think it's going to continue right uh, soon in the next five, 10 years, when you look at the draft, you know, the, the, the first 30 picks, uh, I, I'm not exaggerated. 10 of them will probably be Canadians, right? Mm. 10 Canadians, 15 Americans, five Europeans, you know, mm -hmm. the numbers will be like that. And you kind of see it right now, right? Year after year, we have guys that get drafted. Guys are undrafted, get in the league, and they're still doing work, which, again, just highlights how much talent we have here in Canada. And it highlights how our youth development system is built. It's still a long way away because, yeah. again, they just look, the pandemic hit, and everyone's scrambling for facilities to work out of. Right. And then, you know, you have a facility like Game Six Sports Academy, which is a brand new facility, um, an amazing facility. But you have what, five, six, seven clubs all working out of the same space. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we've made some progress, but there's still lots more to do in, in, in that aspect. Do you think that Canada basketball will ever beat the U.S. in, in uh, the, the Olympics? Yes. Yes. What? Yes. How? Who, when, where, when, why? <laughs> okay, I, I say that because, again, having attended the, the, the Hoop Summit, right, where the world plays the U.S. and stuff like that, the world has beaten those guys several times. And mm -hmm. year over year, some of the, the, like, the top producers on those world teams happen to be Canadian, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then you see now we have over a dozen Canadian players in the NBA, right? Um, and when you look at, so, you know, I'll 
Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, that duel that happened in the bubble, right? Many would say Jamal got the best of him. And again, the team won and stuff like that. And now you day who is doing his thing now get to that 26 27 28 year old piece um and they're already competing with those guys so i think yeah man i think we're gonna have a team um that all everything will align and we'll have the right coaches that that can can can, can really bring the best out of these guys and we will beat the u.s at some point in time i don't i can't pinpoint when but i definitely <laughs> believe that that will happen so and if you choose to, to not answer this, I will I will completely erase this part oh, of the of, of the oh message. Boy. How did you feel about TSN highlighting Elijah Fisher as a big time Canadian superstar and quote unquote <laughs> the one of the faces of basketball in Canada? Um, I mean, honestly, Elijah Fisher is somewhat of the face of youth basketball in Canada. Like he's a highly ranked. I don't know where he ranks right now, but I know at no, one point he was he's, ranked he's, number he's, one. He's number one in his class. Oh, okay, so he still is number one. He's still number one, right? Yeah, and this just goes to show, right? Like I don't follow, I don't follow rankings all that much, yeah. uh, but I know he was ranked number one. Happy to hear that he's still ranked number one because again, there is a spotlight on our country, which means there's a spotlight or potential spotlight for other kids to be mm. seen. So I love that, and I would agree that he is the face of youth basketball in Canada because he's number one ranked player in his class, um, which is a pretty deep class if, if, if yeah. I remember correctly. Right. So that's an accomplishment. Um, what I, what I didn't like was some of the, um, some of the sound bites that I believe were used more for marketing. Right. Um, like, you know, when they say, you know, a talent like we've never seen before, uh, like I'm a little I'm a little stuck on that one because um Andrew Wiggins was just yeah. playing high school ball here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's tough to say I've never seen a town like this before, knowing that Andrew Wiggins was literally just six, seven years ago in high school. You mm. know what I mean? And what Drew was doing in high school. Who uh, played with Cy, by the way. Sorry, who played with Cy, by the way, Ed Vaughn. Yes, correct. And again, I'm not, and it's not a knock um, to Elijah the player. He's a phenomenal right. player, no doubt. Um, but I think, pound for pound, if you were to ask people, you know, who would you take, Elijah Fisher in high school or Andrew Wiggins in high school, you're probably going to get Wiggs the yeah. majority of the time, right? Yeah. Um, but I think he's a phenomenal talent. Uh, I think that, you know, with all the infrastructure that we have in place, um, that he has a legitimate shot. Of, of accomplishing his goals of being a division one athlete and then ultimately moving on to the NBA. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing's promised, but he seems like a worker, right? He seems like he's willing to put in the work. And like I said, we have the infrastructure and you know, the, the, the machine, like, you know, there is such a thing as a machine, you know, he's got a buzz and stuff like that. We're all pushing and rooting for him as we should, as a community, yes. we yes. should all be pushing for him and others because the more of our kids that get through the easier it is for for the others to get through believe it or not um, so i love i love that what i love most though let me be very clear what i loved most about that um piece on on elijah fisher was more so the family unit 
like TSN did a great job of highlighting um, a close-knit family unit. Um, and I thought that was bigger for our culture than anything else, right? Um, because there is a, a stigma in the media. And I don't want to get too political or too deep or whatever, but I can't help it. You know, there is a stigma um, that, you know, Black families are broken families and things of that nature. So it was really nice that they highlight that. It wasn't just all about basketball. Yeah, they were talking about basketball, but there was, for me, there was a bigger message. And yeah. uh, I hope that others um, picked up on that message, right? I, 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 I like that. I really like that. You know, I really like that. And, and you know, I, you, like you said yourself, any Canadian in particular right now, we should all be on the same page. You know, no matter, no matter what, what race you are, no matter what religion you are, no matter what it is, if you're Canadian, you represent the red and white flag, you know, we should, we should all be together and say, congratulations to you, congratulations to you, congratulations to you, and not hate on them. And I feel like, I feel like our country in itself right now, we're, we're big on hatred. You know, we don't really support as much as we should be, be supporting. And, you know, a lot of people want to, want to, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying anybody in particular, I'm just saying Canadians in itself as a whole hate more than love. And I feel like as, if all our coaches can kind of come together, youth coaches, youth brands, youth, everybody can kind of come together and say, listen, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. I think the community, the basketball community in Canada will be a lot stronger than any, any, any basketball community in any other country. You know what I mean? And, and that's just my personal belief. And, and I would like to know your take on that. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I, I believe that there's strength in numbers. You know what I mean? Um, the unfortunate truth is this is a business, right? There's a business aspect to this. Um, and that drives, unfortunately, that drives a lot of people's decision. And that sometimes doesn't pan out to be the greatest um, decision when you're making decisions based upon money and finances and stuff like that. Um, I remember, like, again, you know, when, when um, Nike Bounce lost their EYBLU 17, like, there were guys that were celebrating that. And I just found that so strange that, that guys were celebrating that uh, because when you think about it, uh, a regular roster would have 10 to 12 guys. Well, that's 10 to 12 at the highest platform, right? So for me, I didn't like that guys were celebrating that. And obviously I had some history there, right? Um, being with, with, with Bounce. So, you know, seeing that they, 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 kind of took a dive and, you know, weren't producing like they were in years past. Um, you know, that, that was a little tough to swallow and, and, and accept. But I, like I said, I, I remember people celebrating uh, and rejoicing when they lost their, their U17 EYBL spot, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, right? That's 10 or 12 Canadians um, that are no longer going to be seen at that level, right? So I thought that was kind of silly, but that's just, that's just my take. I believe in... You know, people just being transparent, you know what I mean? Be transparent about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And if someone is willing to help, then they help, right? But I, I just feel like sometimes we're not as forthcoming as we should be uh, with information. And then that leads to soured relationships. And then that leads to competition. That leads to hate. And that's why we're not where we should be, in, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. You couldn't have said any better. Uh, one last question related to Canadian basketball. Nick Nurse is now the coach of Canada basketball. Um, how do you feel that Amer an American is coaching is coaching the national team compared to a Canadian? Uh, well, let's see. Um, in, some <laughs> in some aspects, it's good because 
he brings a certain level of notoriety to the team. Yeah. Right? Like, this, this again, just Nick Nurse, okay, he just won an NBA championship. You know what I mean? He's bringing a certain level of credibility and notoriety to the program. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we have capable coaches, right? We have capable players. We have capable trainers. We have capable coaches. So I don't like the fact that, you know, we're not like a third world country, you know, like Jamaica or Dominican Republic, who's underdeveloped and under-resourced. So you go out and you hire a Calipari or whatever. Like, we're not that. So I I personally don't like the move. I'm not, I don't have anything against Nick Nurse. He's not Canadian. And I just feel like, you know, it's our national program. I feel like we have capable guys in Canada that could get the job done. This is my personal opinion. It, it kind of bothers me on the fact that we have, I mean, don't get me wrong. I let, I'm, I'm a dire Raptors fan. I'm very happy that Nick Nurse is, is a coach or, and he's a very good coach, but it bothers me on the fact that Steve Nash is now a head coach of the Brooklyn Nets and didn't want to take on the role as as coach for, for team Canada. I think that could have been a better fit in my opinion, just because, you know, Canadian, Canadian, and it's also Steve Nash, two-time NBA MVP. But again, I, like you said, you know, it, 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 it kind of helps us a little bit with because it's Nick Nurse. Um, but whatever, that's, that's a whole other topic for another yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tough one. Last quick, some, some quick hitters for you to finish off the show. Uh, first question I want to ask you is, who's your top five artists of all time? We're going to finish up, finish up the show now with some quick hitters. First question I want to ask you is, who's your top five artists of all time? <laughs> um, Bob Marley, Peter Ooh. Tosh. Okay. <laughs> I know that's going to catch everyone by surprise. <laughs> Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, um, golly, Jay-Z. Okay. Nas. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, Biggie. I mean, like, that's that's pretty easy, I guess. All right. Top, uh, in order, best best to worst, Jordan, LeBron, Kobe. Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Okay, okay, okay. Why? <laughs> man, that's a, seg- that's a whole nother segment, man. That's a whole nother segment, you. man. I got you, I got you, I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole nother segment, man. If you could um, but in 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 the short, the long and short of it is, uh, the first two that I mentioned, uh, they did it. Um, they 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 won the more traditional way, right? Mm-hmm. Like really climbing the mountains and going through whatever obstacles and adversities were thrown their way in their mm-hmm. setting. That's mm-hmm. really the long and short of it all. Fair but I respect fair. and rate what Braun has done more so for what he's done for the culture and the game outside of the court. Right, I really love how he shifted the power that the players have. So shout out to Braun. That's he's, he's big time. That dude is is a legend, no doubt, man. For sure. If you if you could if you could pinpoint one of our one of the youth in the NBA right now, one of the uh, second or third year guys, who would you say is has has a long a long career ahead, and who who would you say you're looking forward to watching? Ah, uh, the kid Dort. Okay, kid Lugans Dort. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right or not. Um, I think dude is going to be easily do 10 years. I think he's mm-hmm. going to play 10 years or more in the NBA. Everybody knew he already had an NBA body and stuff like that. But I think some people are like, oh, he might be undersized, whoop-de-whoop, tweener. But um, his ability to play defense, man, 
right? And then he showed spurts of offensive ability. Yeah. And I say this, you know, when you when you become a pro and you have all day to work on your craft, if you're really serious, you can really transform your game. Tristan Thompson is a great example. You know, um, his body type, right? Like you would think he's going to put on weight, this, that, there. But, you know, he made a commitment uh, to his body, right? And as a result, he's been able to play this many years and be this productive. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't think anyone thought Tristan, even though he went number four, I don't think anyone thought Tristan was going to be as productive or have the type of NBA career that he did. So for me, um, like I said, I've seen, I've seen the kid Lou Dortz over at the Athlete Institute prior to him, you know, going to the NBA and stuff like that. And I always loved what I've seen. You know, he's just a bring your pail to work type of guy willing to do whatever it takes. So I'm, I'm excited to watch his career. Uh, and he's one of those guys I think that's kind of still under the radar. With that being said, Coach, it was an honor to have you on the show. It really was really a lot of fun to talk to you and get to know about your insight on, on why you started TPG, why you started, or your basketball career in general. You know, just, just Canadian basketball, get all your insight. You're definitely someone that I particularly uh, respected. And, and since I got to know you the past couple months, I've learned a lot from you in itself. So I just want to say thank you for your time. But can you, can you let our fans and viewers know where we can find you on, on, on socials? Ah, social media. Let me see. <laughs> Let me see. What in my hand? It's crazy, right? <laughs> um, I know. So old school, man. Um, so, yeah, you can follow me at uh, EDDoesIt25. So mm-hmm. E-D-D-O-E-S-I-T, number 25. That's more like my personal account. Uh, so ED does it 25, uh, as well as ED training Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my, you know, skills and development Academy. Uh, so some pretty cool content coming your way for 2021 there. And of course, TPG basketball, uh, which is, uh, obviously the rep side of things for us. Uh, so we're TPG basketball on Instagram, ED training Academy on Instagram and ED does it two five on Instagram. Make sure you guys go follow him. Make sure you guys go check him out. He he definitely has a lot of good content over there. One of the best shooters at his age group that I've seen. And uh, at his age group, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know, def, def, definitely. You know, like I, re- I really meant what I said. I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to us today. Yeah, no doubt, man. I appreciate. It. I love what you guys are doing, both yourself inside RWY. Like I said, man, I don't know how you guys get all these 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 young cats with all the skill involved, but I see what y'all are doing over there, man. I rate it. We're trying, man. We appreciate your time, man. Thank you for your time. Blessings, brother. Blessings.